this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Kevin, the co-founder of Ava Labs. Ava Labs was getting a lot of attention last year uh, for the launch of Avalanche, which is a consensus protocol that's aiming to solve some of the issues inherent in the protocols that have come before it. Kevin goes into a very great, lengthy discussion about Nakamoto consensus, about classical consensus, and then about Avalanche um, and some. There is a project within it called Snow, um, and so he goes into really great detail on how to understand the differences between those. We talk a lot about the differences between Avalanche, between Bitcoin and Ethereum. We talked a lot about transactions per second and scalability. Scalability as it relates to Avalanche, um, they are stating uh, about 5,000 transactions per second. So we talked about how they're actually getting to that point. And then from there, what that could be used for. And so we talked about some of the use cases in regards to building your own blockchain. There is that capability with Avalanche and Avalabs. And then there's also this ability of digitizing your assets. And we talked a lot about that because... There's the differences of covenants, uh, some that might call them covenants, some call them smart contracts with Ethereum. Uh, we talked about the Oracle problem, and so we talked a lot about the things that happen as regards to how to make sure things are supposed to happen the way they're supposed to happen. We talked about reactive smart assets, and then we also talked lastly about their emphasis on climate. Um, they discussed that Avalanche allows pruning of older history and even allows smartphones to participate in consensus. Unlike in proof-of-work systems, there is no energy waste, and participation is very easy and low-cost. In this day and age where we see Sequoia and USV investing heavily in climate, I thought that was interesting to talk about that too. Remember, nothing on base layer is investment advice, so please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear a great conversation with Kevin, the co-founder of Ava Labs. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Kevin, the co-founder of Ava Labs, with me today. Kevin, how are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. We're going to have a great chat here, uh, Ava Labs. Uh, thank you to the folks from Dragonfly for the connection. I've uh, been following this for a while. Uh, some very prominent figures uh, from the digital asset uh, landscape are involved in this. So we're going to find out why and what you guys are doing there. Uh, but before we get too deep into Ava Labs and everything, all the things that you're working on there, I'd like to get a little bit of a background on the guest before we get too deep into that. And so you have some really super interesting pieces of your background. You, I believe, are a doctor of philosophy and also comp sci. And I love that there's two pieces to that. As many people know, as they get deep into digital assets, that there are components, obviously, of cryptography and computer science, uh, of networks and distributed systems. But more, there's also this idea of how it interacts with people, how we interact with technology, how we interact with things that are called monies. And so really interesting that there's this philosophy aspect of your background. So give us a little bit of, of, of a historical background on yourself uh, briefly. And then what I'd like to focus in on is not necessarily the when Bitcoin moment, but necessarily what about distributed systems really led you to the formation with your co-founder uh, to form uh, Ava Labs? 
Sure. Yeah, yeah. My pleasure. And uh, indeed, uh, thank you to uh, Dragonfly and Hasib. Uh, awesome folks. Uh, very much looking forward to this uh, conversation. So uh, a little bit of uh, uh, sort of uh, maybe clarification. Uh, so uh, doctor of uh, philosophy is the terminology typically used, uh, you know, for, for a PhD, uh, but uh, uh, it's not doctor of philosophy and computer science. It's actually oh, doctor of philosophy in computer science oh, wow. uh, or PhD. It's, uh, it's uh, usually that, that's, that's how it goes. So there is a doctor, typically MD, medical doctor. And then uh, most other doctors are, in fact, doctors of philosophy in a particular uh, field of study. Uh, so, yeah, indeed, my background is uh, technical and uh, in computer science. Um, and uh, although I am ABD, all but dissertation, so not quite uh, haven't gotten my diploma yet, but almost there. So uh, I, uh, I come from a background in uh, cryptography, actually, predominantly, surprisingly, or maybe not so much. Uh, I, I did research in uh, cryptography in undergrad, continued uh, a little bit of cryptography, cryptography and security research in my uh, uh, PhD studies. And then uh, very soon after my first year, I got involved deeply into the uh, research aspect of distributed systems, which is obviously uh, one of the core tenets of, uh, uh, of research in blockchain. Uh, it's, it's really one of the biggest uh, challenges of designing highly scalable blockchain systems. Um, but I always, always had deep fascination with financial markets. Um, in fact, uh, you know, I, I have been deeply involved sort of on the sides uh, in, in financial markets to some extent, either sort of personally or uh, through, my, uh, uh, through my work at Cornell um, and during my PhD. So I've always been fascinated at the intersection of, uh, of uh, you know, computer science, distributed systems, but also financial markets, uh, which really led to... Uh, the creation of uh, of Ava Labs, um, and uh, you know what we're really doing is is challenging sort of the status quo of how financial markets are are built, mm -hmm. and reimagining it almost fundamentally how we can rebuild a new financial infrastructure to uh, I, I don't want to say necessarily bring it to the 21st century, but at least uh, you know leverage the 21st century way of doing things, uh, or rather the internet way of doing things. So you already alluded to it. So the way I like to go into questions here at the onset is for people who are outside of digital assets and crypto, for the institutional investors, for the family offices that listen, you know, I want to make it easy for them. So typically what I like to do is ask our guests to come on and say, if you had to speak to someone who is not a technocrat, someone who is not a PhD in distributed systems like yourself, you know, how would you basically describe Ava Labs to them? It's a great question. Um, the uh, short answer is we want to be the Amazon of assets. We want to have this one marketplace where if you think about selling or rather issuing any asset, then you think of Ava, the Ava network. Uh, you issue, you trade, you discover new assets. Uh, you basically allow network effects to bring capital flows to really the next level. This is what happened with Amazon and the, uh, uh, its, its ability to bring sellers and buyers of all sorts of items together created this, this unifying experience where you can go from, uh, I need something, to discovering it and buying it in, in almost an instant. Um, but not the same thing has happened uh, in the financial markets. Now, of course, partially for that is the cumbersome but incredibly outdated regulatory processes that have been 
tied to uh, to financial markets, um, for better or for worse. Um, in a lot of ways, for better, because financial markets are, of course, of high value and uh, regulation is necessary uh, to ensure good behavior and to ensure right. that, that things are running smoothly. Um, but in a lot of ways, this regulatory process uh, has deeply isolated uh, financial markets. It has siloed them. So if you want to trade equities, um, you can go to equities exchanges, and that's it. If you want to trade potentially bonds or corporate bonds, maybe you are at a desk at a major bank, you call up your buddy at another bank, you trade bonds, um, and that's basically it. This is how financial markets have moved. Uh, really, you know, we have hyper-optimized specific aspects of financial markets. Uh, we have seen, for example, the rise of 21st century apps uh, in equities trading, being Robinhood being one of them. We've really made things much simpler, but we have not fundamentally transformed how financial markets work. And they're really these isolated uh, uh, stacks, which, uh, you know, some are super optimized, but some are incredibly unoptimized and archaic. Um, now, really what, what we came along with uh, at Avas, we said, look, what if we could effectively network all financial markets together into one unifying experience? What if we could create this one network marketplace where if you want to issue new assets and you want to trade them, they're all under the same roof. They all speak the same protocol. Yet, of course, they obey whatever rules and restrictions they need to obey. Uh, but ultimately, they are uh, uh, taking advantage of network effects. And right. financial markets are no different than uh, other types of marketplaces. They do benefit greatly from network effects. And um, the ability to, uh, you know, for example, I have some piece of asset. It could be any kind of contract. Let's say real estate is, is a canonical example. But the ability to take this piece of contract, this piece of paper, digitize it, and then make it immediately available to a larger pool of capital, uh, which can move freely uh, and fractionally, uh, that's of tremendous value. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, of course, real estate. <laughs> that's a very archaic and slightly outdated example. But really anything that can be encoded as uh, a contract between two or more entities, That's right. uh, which has special conditions uh, of payouts and inside of it has uh, encoded things of value. So mm -hmm. it has, uh, you know, money or some other forms of assets. And we like to think of this new, um, you know, financial ecosystem as the internet of programmable capital. There you go. Uh, that's really what, what we want, want to do. And so anything that you can express as, you know, some conditions on something of value that is to be paid out to certain individuals or certain entities based on certain conditions, um, these should be as easy uh, to create as some digital, uh, some, some other digital thing and be able to move around freely in one marketplace where, where you know, uh, it, which, which takes advantage of network effects. So that's really the longer answer of what we're trying to do. You see, it's amazing with brilliant people in this space. Obviously, they think about these things 24-7, 365. So you get talking to people like like Kevin here, and then obviously they keep, they've been thinking about this so long and so hard, and they've been spending so much time. I appreciate the answer for sure, because obviously there's so much embedded in that. So Avalanche Consensus is a breakthrough consensus protocol that solves some of the issues inherent in the protocols that come before it. Um, this is from your site. So... Can you discuss and unpack what some of those issues were in the past uh, iterations? Sure, of course. So 
if you want to build this new infrastructure that allows high volume trading of uh, this thing called we call ProCap, programmable capital, uh, you need a layer uh, that enables very high volume of, of trading and uh, uh, lots of lots of participants and users and clients. And uh, blockchain technology, um, you know, really what, what it is, is uh, uh, sort of uh, immutable, auditable, uh, transparent uh, uh, databases. Um, although, of course, programmable capital might require uh, privacy guarantees and so on, which is something that is actually very important we want to provide. But uh, going before we even get to the, to the privacy stuff, um, you know, if you want to enable this new internet of assets, you want to make sure that you have the right technological foundation. And at the heart of this technological foundation relies the ability to create high volume databases. Um, these uh, databases have been, uh, blockchains that have been uh, uh, pushed uh, over the past uh, uh, I guess decade now since Bitcoin came along, uh, suffer greatly from various different uh, issues in uh, scalability and performance and so on. And very famously, um, for those that are not deeply into the into the Bitcoin or, or blockchain space, um, the, these blockchain platforms really uh, perform at about four to seven transactions per second, which uh, that's really, you know, I would say Whole Foods on a busy day. That's really what it what it performs at, like a single Whole Foods. Uh, that that's the the kind of volume. So definitely not something we can we can we can use. Uh, there's been a lot of work uh, since Bitcoin came along to uh, create new platforms that scale uh, at larger volumes, um, but uh, they have significant drawbacks because they use this older piece of technology that uh, that has been known since the 80s and 90s. In fact. Um, in uh, slightly new ways, but uh, fundamentally they are they are limited. Um, right. And what we built, what we actually came first to do uh, as as part of Ava was to solve the scalability issues before we even went into the product itself. So we wanted we had a clear goal, which was solve the scalability issues of blockchain platforms. And then eventually, of course, we went into okay, now what is the actual product that we want to do? Uh, what is the real like you know, high level vision of what we're trying to achieve, right. um, and at the technological level, what we did was uh, uh, you know a piece of uh, a piece of uh, code and software that really solves the issues of uh, you know volume, transaction volume, uh, transaction latencies. Um, so if you're trying to transact uh, with with some entity in this network, you want to make sure that you're really you know confirming things in in one second. And Bitcoin very famously takes one hour plus. Uh, so we, we, we solve these issues. Right. So, yeah, we've talked about this on the show before, obviously with Bitcoin, Ethereum and other consensus programs that it's a linear nature. So it's, it's block by block. Obviously there is some folks out there who consider the transactions per second that you're stating as a feature and not a bug. You want to make sure that everything is being done correctly, but at the same time for more commercial viability, for instance, we have always had to go against the visa benchmark uh, and transactions per second. And so, uh, you know, obviously the the issues around scalability are present and something that we talk about a lot. So you at Ava Labs are stating that you can reach 5,000 transactions per second. Um, give us an update on that. Obviously, that was the latest number I was able to pull. And so I'm curious, 
as it relates to other consensus algorithms out there, as it relates to proof of work with Bitcoin, as it relates to Ethereum, as it relates to proof of stake, and some of the other systems out there, how are you getting to 5,000 transactions per second? Are you using things like side chains? Are you using things like hash time locks? Are you using things that kind of decompartmentalize away from the L1, like sharding, for instance? Um, and then I also want to talk about your use of DAGs. You know, we've had other projects on here that are using graphs. And so I'm curious how you're using DAGs and how you're finding them to be uh, efficient. Great question. So, uh, yeah, um, the uh, fundamental uh, difference between, um, you know, us and uh, uh, the other protocols that you mentioned. Uh, well, so let, let me sort of break down the multiple prongs here, because when people say scalability in blockchain, um, it is a very overloaded term. And of course, even I have, you know, unfortunately made the same mistake uh, consciously uh, for simplicity, uh, but that ends up uh, potentially confusing certain things. Um, scalability is a multi-pronged word, uh, which can refer to, for example, things like uh, volume, how many transactions per second you can process. Um, it also could refer to things like how many validators of the blockchain are present. Uh, you know, Bitcoin has something like 9,000 nodes running, uh, but other protocols which claim uh, faster uh, or rather higher volume of transactions, uh, they cannot scale to more than 100 or 200 uh, uh, validators. Um, now, if you were to really look at the space of, of, of consensus protocols, uh, there's effectively three families um, that exist. Um, and I'm entirely not talking about anything regarding uh, side chains or layer two or anything. I'm simply talking about the base layer layer one consensus protocols here. There's three families and anything that you can build on top, um, including side chains and so on, you can effectively do on all three families. So it's effectively orthogonal. Um, the three families are one, uh, Nakamoto style longest chain protocols, which is what of course Satoshi uh, introduced um, very famously. Uh, the second family comes all the way from the 80s and 90s. Uh, which is called, you know, in, in distributed systems literature, we call classical uh, consensus protocols. And uh, the third family is, of course, the Avalanche Snow family. Um, now, the, the Nakamoto family, uh, its properties effectively are that it can scale. It, is, it scales independent, uh, or rather it performs at the same speed and transactions, regardless of the number of nodes in the system. Uh, so it can have 1,000 nodes or 10,000 nodes, uh, Bitcoin effectively works the same exact performance. Unfortunately, that performance of Bitcoin is also incredibly slow. It is uh, several hours to actually high confirmation security. So probability of being reverted being very, very high, or rather being very, very low. Um, and uh, the, the actual volume of transactions is really just in the order of about 10 and no more. Um, now, the other family that came along uh, sort of resurrected uh, recently uh, was with uh, basically every other proof of stake protocol out there, um, which took you know some variant of classical protocols, uh, added some small modifications, and then uh, you know introduced the proof of stake component as a civil deterrence mechanism. Now these protocols, uh, if you were to walk away with something out of this conversation, these protocols, uh, these classical uh, uh, protocols. They have voting. They, they vote rather than create blocks um, and, and take a look at the hash power as Bitcoin does. 
Um, and what it means for, for voting is that voting can be incredibly fast. You don't actually need to wait for you know, some block to be processed with some amount of hash power. You just create a bunch of votes, you vote on it, and if there is consensus on those votes, then you move immediately forwards. That's a really nice property to have because you can actually confirm a transaction in you know, a few seconds or at most a minute or so. Uh, but unfortunately, because you can... Uh, uh, you know, you, you require votes from everybody in the system. It also means that it cannot ac- accommodate, you know, hundreds or, or even thousands of participants. So classical protocols are not performance-wise independent in the number of participants as Nakamoto-style protocols like Bitcoin. So if you get to 200 and 400, uh, the performance actually drops quadratically. So if you go from, from, let's say, 100 to 200 nodes in a classical protocol, you are going to, because you double the number of participants, you're going to uh, reduce by four. Uh, you're going to divide by four the performance of the, of the transactions per second. So every doubling divides it by four. Um, so you know, you know, once you get to 1,000 or so, you're really you know, very, very low transactions per second. You're effectively down to Bitcoin levels. Uh, but in a few hundred, it could be very fast. Now, the third family, which is a fundamental rewrite of consensus protocols, um, and that's really what Ava is using, um, is, uh, is the Avalanche family, um, and the, the, or rather the Snow family, depending on branding, depending on how you want to look at it. And um, that family effectively uses the best of uh, both Nakamoto and Classical. So it allows you to, to, to perform, it allows you to, to finalize a transaction in just about a second or less. Uh, in fact, in good conditions, it can be finalized in you know, 100, 200 milliseconds um, while being independent of the network size, uh, which is sort of the, the holy grail of, of consensus performance. So you, in, in Avalanche-style uh, consensus protocols, you can get the kind of performance that you get from classical at 10 nodes, let's say, which is like thousands of transactions per second, like a visa level. Mm-hmm. Um, but you maintain this performance when you go to 100, 200, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 nodes. So that's really the big, big breakthrough of, uh, of Avalanche thought protocols. Uh, so you can, you can really you know, launch internet level, Bitcoin level, 10,000 uh, node networks and perform at visa levels. And that's why lots of people were talking about it when you guys announced it. So let's figure out the use cases because obviously handling scalability and be able to get the throughput that you're talking about is obviously something very interesting to people out there. And so there are two use cases that you talk about. Um, There is building your own blockchain and then there is the idea of digitizing assets. So in the first one, in building your own blockchain, I kind of want to get an idea because it seems that there is an aspect of interoperability there, how you can get all, you know, disparate pieces working together harmoniously, which has been also, as you mentioned, the holy grail of getting things out there, getting file storage, getting query, getting, you know, all the different pieces out there working together harmoniously to create something that is usable for people. And so talk about the two different use cases, building your own blockchain and then talking about digitizing your assets or digitizing assets. And then I'll have a few questions about digitizing assets. Sure, absolutely. So um, as I alluded to initially, we really want to transform financial ecosystem. And uh, part of that transforming the way we view it from an architectural perspective is the ability to interoperate 
many blockchains together, blockchains that are deployed on our network. And each one of these blockchains has uh, its own uh, requirements, its own policies, its own restrictions. Uh, why is this important? Because if ultimately we want to be this one network where all assets are issued and traded globally, um, you do need to comply with rules uh, as they as they are, you know, per jurisdiction. So you do need to be able to isolate certain assets in their own validator sets, in their own rather blockchains. Um, and furthermore, you also need to enable specific features to each blockchain that other blockchains may not need. Like, you know, if you have some assets that are that deal with income sharing agreements, for example, uh, that might be sitting on a blockchain that has very different requirements from uh, something like bonds or, or something like insurance products. Um, so the way that we view the Ava network is this collection of many blockchains, each one of which is running, uh, you know, an instance of our engine. Um, but each one of these blockchains has its own validator sets. Uh, it has its own rules. It has its own privacy guarantees. Um, everything is effectively given to a developer of that blockchain. And what this enables is really this interoperable network of blockchains in a way that um, very few, if any, networks, actually none, no networks currently do, uh, including networks like Cosmos, which have tried to do something similar uh, but haven't gotten to quite where it needs to be. Um, now, the that's the first sort of uh, uh, you know step in in digitizing assets is the ability to create your own blockchain. You can launch any sort of blockchain with any uh, requirements and and virtual machines that you may want. You really have full control as a developer. In fact, as a sort of a demo, we launched um, Ethereum, which is a uh, a, a spoon. Uh, which is really a, called a friendly fork of the Ethereum network, uh, currently still in private uh, testing. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, will be soon uh, public. Uh, but you know, you are able to in our network come in and say, "Hey, I would like to provision a new blockchain that supports the Ethereum virtual machine and has some state, has some rules, and uh, you really have full customizability ability here." And uh, if Ethereum was exactly one such demo. So that's the first step in, in getting to the, to the final goal. Uh, really, the ability to create your own sort of uh, uh, controlled environments for issuance of assets uh, that still interoperate with, with other assets because we really want to grab network effects. And then the second thing, of course, is you know if you don't necessarily care about launching your own blockchain, you just want to launch a new asset on an existing blockchain, absolutely perfectly fine. You can simply choose uh, the canonical asset uh, uh, blockchain, which we call subnets in, in, our, in our nomenclature. Uh, you can choose the, uh, the AVA asset subnet and simply launch a new asset directly on it. And uh, currently supported assets are simple sort of uh, cap supply contracts. So you can, for example, create a new uh, you know, income sharing agreement, launch it, and uh, uh, you know, that, that has some certain uh, number of shares, so really fixed shares type of things. And eventually, will it will augment in complexity and uh, expressibility. Um, but yeah, that that's sort of uh, the entire. It, it really both of those use cases are to the final eventual goal of creating this one interoperable network marketplace of, of assets. So with digitizing assets, you mentioned that Ava, that the covenants are easier to obey, whereas we know now Ethereum has run into the Oracle problem, where 
you have a smart contract on Ethereum, there has to be oracles, which are obviously data relayers to that smart contract. Again, we can use a simple example with plane tickets. You buy a plane ticket, um, effectively, you know, three months out, and then the smart contract is there, and you know, the day of the flight, something's wrong with the plane, or the pilot's sick, blah blah blah, and the smart contract is able to nullify that because the data is streaming in there, and so you have a situation that because Ethereum has is Turing complete and has state, it can obviously recall and redact and have all those components there for uh, the user, and so again, that runs with the counterparty of having oracles feeding that smart contract. So, as it relates to to Ava and the covenants that are easier to obey, how does that work as it relates to Ethereum and the Oracle? Great question. So Ethereum, um, a problem stem uh, from the uh, fact that Ethereum was never really meant to be this, uh, uh, this, this network to allow this high level of customizability. What, what The way that the Ethereum architecture was designed is one blockchain, one set of validators, and simply a uh, interface to allow you to create these smart contracts and then deploy them on the on this one blockchain. Um, now, while the smart contract language that Ethereum supports is something called Turing complete, which means that it is able to uh, allow you to express any kind of conditionals, it becomes incredibly hard uh, to express basic things like this smart contract, which has uh, which represents a particular kind of asset, has to be managed only by certain entities that are within U.S. jurisdiction, or it has to obey special privacy covenants, uh, and so on. Or it can only be traded or touched by specific entities that have special uh, uh, conditional uh, conditions met. Now, all of these things, they seem simple, uh, but the way that Ethereum is built is that it effectively uh, requires you to build them the tooling, this this basic primitive tooling from the ground up. You have to build this incredibly complicated zero knowledge proof system to prove privately that certain transactions have been modified and so on. And we have seen some of these attempts being made, but effectively it's just so utterly complicated and and cumbersome uh, that we haven't seen really anybody um, you know in the enterprise world or in the financial world take use of these. Uh, in the proper way. Um, Ethereum is really meant to be this one uh, network to launch potentially just really public assets that are very simple and they don't really require special uh, uh, restrictions. And this happens to be, for example, things like like a bunch of DeFi applications. Mm-hmm. But anything more expressive than that, that's just not the case. But Ava was just entirely redesigned. It's not this one blockchain. It's a network of blockchains. You don't have to go through very complex uh, mechanisms to build your tooling for expressing privacy things. It's simply built for you in the in the manner of certificates and uh, effectively network isolation. These primitives and a bunch more give you the entire tooling that you need as a financial institution to launch assets in a private compliant way while being part of a larger interoperable network. So you don't have to you know, bring in people and learn Solidity and build all this complicated Solidity smart contract code is just sort of there directly for you in a simple sort of easy to reason about and implement way. Got it. And uh, I think that also feeds into your, I think there was a notion of reactive smart assets, which I think that basically feeds into. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about 
was there's an emphasis on climate now within the VC world. We saw Sequoia, we saw USV. We've seen a lot of people, you know, focusing on it from the financial world, BlackRock. And it's interesting, you discuss this on your website. Avalanche allows pruning of older history and even allows smartphones to participate in consensus. Unlike in proof-of-work systems, there is no energy waste and participation is very easy and low cost. So how does this greenify, if you will, uh, Ava Labs? What's the, how does this all work? And because people are really focused on it, I think a lot of people want to know more about that. Yeah, it's a great question. So there is a um, very big misconception. And uh, uh, at this point, it has become almost a, a cultish belief that uh, proof of work uh, implies security, that electricity burned implies that there has been some value added to this and therefore something is, uh, is, is highly secure, which is, of course, incredibly misguided and, and, and not the case. Uh, proof of work is not a requirement for building highly secure systems, uh, even in a permissionless uh, open way. Um, what we have done uh, is build a consensus protocol. Of course, it does not require proof of work. And effectively, because it's so lightweight, um, it's just aggregation of a few signatures, um, it does allow uh, smartphones, in fact, to interact with the rest of the network. So you could run a, uh, a node, the Nava node, the validator node, uh, as, a, as, a, as a smartphone. Uh, we wouldn't recommend it necessarily, uh, but uh, you could do it. Uh, and in fact, we have run it um, on uh, low-powered uh, devices. Um, uh, we've run one of our clients on uh, something similar to a Raspberry Pi, and uh, the network seemed to uh, uh, work perfectly fine. We ran it, um, I believe our, our simulation was on the lowest end uh, Amazon machines that we could find. We actually ran a deployment, uh, private deployment. Um, these were machines that were comparable to basically Raspberry Pis, which are uh, in a lot of ways less powerful than, uh, than your iPhone. And the network was able to perform easily at uh, hundreds of percentages per second. So it was a, it was a great, uh, great feeling. Um, now, because we obviate the need for proof of work, uh, there is no electricity waste. Uh, the electricity waste is really just in, uh, you know, operate or is really invalidating of transactions, which is exactly where the effort should go. Uh, any transactions coming in, you just need to be processing them and validating them and uh, pushing them to the blockchain but otherwise no additional costs should be attributed to, to, the, to the system. Uh, it should be fast, it should be low, uh, uh, low uh, you know, energy expenditure and so on. So that's, that's really what uh, we're pretty proud to have achieved, a, a system that can scale to an arbitrary number of nodes while still maintaining minimal uh, energy requirements. That's awesome. And so what we'd like to do after is getting to know our guests a little bit more personally. And so there are two things I always ask guests that come on the show. What are you reading? Hopefully you've had some chances to read for pleasure or for learning things that are not necessarily attributed to crypto. So what are you reading, if anything? And what music do you listen to when you're working, when you're traveling? What music uh, do you prefer to listen to? <laughs> Good question. So uh, just as of recently, uh, and because of recommendation of, uh, uh, of a friend uh, from Twitter, I read this uh, fantastic uh, uh, book uh, called The Philosophy of Finance. Uh, really fantastic. Uh, talks about really what, what uh, financial uh, uh, ecosystems are like, these, these reflective 
uh, hard to manage chaotic systems uh, which depend on uh, interpersonal beliefs of you know what I believe, what other people believe, and it's just a fascinating book. Um, typically, I end up uh, reading quite a bit of uh, uh, blog posts, articles uh, in in the space, uh, especially in financial markets. I do lots of security analysis reading, um, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, this is sort of uh, the, the, the kinds of things that I read. Awesome. And uh, in regards to uh, music, um, um, always been big fan of uh, hip hop, rap since a kid. Hmm. Uh, continue listening to it nowadays. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, <laughs> I've, I have a bit of um, a duality in uh, the way that I, uh, com- you know, show myself. There is the uh, professional side, Kevin. Um, wears a suit sometimes, and then there is the Brooklyn Kevin. Uh, not born, but raised in Brooklyn, uh, listens to hip-hop, so that's very much in my culture. Classic hip-hop, like 80s and 90s, or the new stuff? I love that stuff, although not uh, in my daily repertoire. So more of the new stuff, but kind of listen it across the board. Interesting. Always love asking that question because you never know what you're going to get. Um, and uh, classic, uh, you know, Brooklyn Kevin and Queens David can hang out one of these days for sure and talk about uh, talk about that. Um so the other thing that we like to do is with guests, where can people find out more about Ava Labs? How can they get involved? How can they start using your product lines? Anything and everything, let them know where they can go. Yeah, so we are super close to our first launch. Uh, we have been heads down building all this infrastructure. So hopefully within uh, a sh- very short period of time, we should be having a big uh, release. Uh, currently, the best way to find out about us is uh, at avalabs.org. Um, shoot me an email at uh, kevin at avalabs.org or uh, follow me on Twitter as well at uh, Kevin Sekniki, uh, last name S-E-K-N-I-Q-I. Awesome. So this was Kevin at Avalabs, co-founder. Again, this is a very interesting, interesting project because getting all of these things working together. And when I say things, different blockchains, different components of distributed and decentralized systems, getting that all to work together is really important. So we can actually, instead of having disparate pieces of a system, we can actually have a whole system. And then maybe we can get someplace and people can start using these things. So really interesting. Thank you, Kevin, for coming on. We'll catch up with you in a few months to see how the progress is going. And we'll be seeing you soon. Take care. My pleasure. Thank you. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash baselayer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Baselayer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.